How's it going, my friends? Oh, I'm so glad to be with you today. I've been super looking forward to reporting on this episode for the following reason, because there are changes coming in in the world that are going to impact you and your business. And if you are not aware of these changes that are coming, you're at risk, you're vulnerable. And so I, I feel obligated to, you know, it, it, to, to this tribe, right. To, to share what I'm seeing. And, um, it really, I like, let me just preface by saying, to some people, this is going to come as a shock. To others, it won't. To some people, it's going to be um, scary. And and uh, but I hope my message. I I am not a fear monger, um, and so my intent on reporting on this is not to spread the fear, but to really inform you, so that you won't be afraid. Because <laughs> uh, just like the scriptures say, if you're prepared, you shall not fear. Okay, so what am I talking about? I, let's dive right into this. So there is, um, there's a changing world order going on. Now, what do I mean by that? So like right now in the world, the United States as a country is the dominating power. We have, you know, our we have built an empire, and and the U.S. dominates the world, and. Um, I know, like, I know that's like a blank blanket, like sweeping statement, but legitimately it is. So, <laughs> I firsthand can tell you this because we are currently living outside the country, uh, and so I can see what it looks like and feels like being outside. We're we're in Mexico right now, um, but we've been traveling for quite a while, and so um, really, from my perspective, is that it just further validates what. I what I'm learning and seeing about you know the United States truly has set up their standard and so the world lives by it. Um, and if you happen to live in the United States or are a citizen of the United States, you might be thinking, well, that's great, right? What's the big problem? Well, let me share with you what the big problem is: is that the United States is not on track to keep that status as leading the world order. Um, and there is a rising contender, and that all the the signs and the recipe shows that there's going to be a shift um, in who dominates the playing field. And so, again, this is not a, a spirit of fear type of thing. This is just you know, I'm 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 going to report to you in, in a very simple way, um, global economics and how that's going to impact you. Right, because in in the day to day, most of us, you know, only look at what's within our sphere of influence. Right, our small, our our home, our neighborhood, our community, right, the the clientele that we serve. And so, it's not often that we take a step back and, and even look on like a statewide region or country. But this is a step further back to help advise you that there are changes happening globally that are going to impact you and so if you understand this you won't need to fear you'll understand how to position yourself and position your business so that you'll be able to weather the storm uh, so the first thing that i want to you know preface all this by saying too is that um the the world order has changed before it's changed many times and so 
if we take a look back on what did it look like, what did it feel like, who were the players, and what happened, we can form what I what I like to call an archetype, right? A template, a form to say, well, what does it look like when the world order changes? Um, and if we can understand that, then we can predict what it's going to look like this time around. And by the same token, if we understand uh, what it used to look like, we can get to know the different players, what did businesses do back then, what did individuals do back then, um, and, and prepare ourselves to, to take the same similar steps for those that you know want to be successful through this <laughs> and, and okay so what do i mean I, I use this fancy word called archetype let me just say that um like just uh, i'm going to use it like the human life for example so every human life is different right I, we get that nobody lives the exact same amount of time the exact same days nobody has the exact same experiences uh some people are born with you know, illnesses or disabilities, different things like that, right? So I get it that every human life is unique. However, we can look at, um, we can kind of get a sense for what to expect um, at different stages of a human life as an aggregate, as an average, right? Like the, the average infant has a certain amount of ability or lack thereof, right? <laughs> you know, and and so, like, granted, some babies learn their first word, you know, remarkably fast, and some are delayed. But, you know, there's kind of this this average of, like, what a baby can and can't do. And the same things to be said with a toddler. Like, maybe, you know, a, one child will learn to walk really early, and some will be delayed. And um, But, like, there's this average, right? We kind of expect, you know, when a, a child is going to learn to walk... And, and then we expect certain things out of like adolescence and early adulthood onto like, you know, late stages in life. And so I get it. Like every human life is unique, but we can get a lot of benefit by understanding, um, the aggregate and, you know, it's pretty useful. Like it's pretty accurate, um, in the majority of cases, right? When you, we just look at an archetype of a human life. So I, why do I say that? It's because in this, um, I'm not like this economist by education or by trade. Uh, and so I'm going to attempt from my study of master economists and from my interviews with them and from understanding the economic engine, how it works, I'm going to report to you um, topics related to the economy that will impact you and I'm going to attempt to do that in a way that's simple and informative. But I understand that there's going to be like unique cases. And so I'm, I'm just I'm saying, hey, look, don't jump down my throat when I say something that's like, well, you know, this one specific case in, in such and such a year, right, con- conflicts. So it's like, I get it. There's going to be stuff that falls outside the archetype or outside the template. Um, but to avoid looking at the archetype just because of outliers or because of the uniqueness of every single cycle uh, would rob us of the benefit, right, of this discussion. So I'm just saying, I get it. <laughs> like every cycle is unique and no one can predict exactly what day or what year, you know, some type of event is going to happen just because of a look back. Um, 
But that being said, let's take a look at the archetype so that we can gain the benefit. All right. All right. Here we go. So um, the, the uh, world order, how does it what does it look like in the early stages, just like a human life in the infancy? Well, a changing world order usually comes about because there's, um, you know, conflicts between nations. And so there's there's usually uh, some type of war. Right. And, um, and and then the result of that war, there's a winner and there's losers. And then um, there's a usually a period of peace following a war. And that's kind of when a new world order is established. Right. Someone has emerged as the winner and now they're going to kind of extend their empire or the world is going to rearrange itself around that person. And so for the United States, the United States established, uh, you know, really set up itself as the new world order um, in 1945, right? Just following World War II. And uh, before it was the U.S., it was Great Britain. And so uh, basically what happened was Great Britain had this big trade empire, right? They, they'd extended themselves really far. Um, and, and, you know, during the war, they got hammered, right? I, we like to think of Great Britain as one of the you know, winners of the war because they were allies with the United States and they're part of the allied powers. But, uh, and that's true, right? Like they were on the winning team, but they got hammered. <laughs> I mean, they, they got bombed and a lot of their factories destroyed and um and so emerging from the war they were not in a great economic position by by the way just prior to the war uh they had gone through debt cycles and things and recessions so that they um remember the world had gone through the great depression i know it really hit the united states we kind of think of it as like a u.s um thing but um it really impacted the whole world and so Great Britain was overextended on its debts. Then there's the Great Depression. Uh, and then they, they entered the war, right? And they spent a lot of money funding the war and amassing a lot more debt. And then they, they a lot of their able-bodied workers were soldiers, so they died in the war. And then their factories were bombed. So anyway, Great Britain couldn't support its empire anymore. and uh, And so following the war uh they you know they, that's when they, they, they well let me just say it. there was the Bretton Woods agreement in 1945 and that established the World Bank and where was it going to be established in the United States why because the US was relatively unscathed by the war and so um it was set up in the United States they decided we we're going to set up a world bank because we need um a way to uh, an easier way to lend money to other nations to recover from the war effort. And so it's not going to be the United States lending money. It's going to be the, the World Bank, but it's hosted in the United States. So clearly there's a big influence. And they say, well, if we're going to do that, we need to make sure that we establish a a currency that this bank is going to deal in. What is that going to be? Well, whatever currency we need to deal in should be, um, you know, tied to, you know, the gold standard. And um, that way it can be backed up with some real physical hard asset. And so, well, which currency makes the most sense? Well, we, you know, the U.S. 
had at that time they controlled about 70% of the world's uh, reserve of gold. And so uh, they said, well, we, we have the most gold. Uh, we were the relatively unscathed by the war. We are clearly the wealthiest nation um, coming out of the war and, uh, and the most stable. And so let's set up the World Bank here and we're going to use the U.S. dollar. And by, by doing that, it, it really solidified itself as the, the dominant world power. Because from there, you know, nations borrowed money in dollars to help repair themselves from the war. And, um, and so the U.S., uh, the, you know, the Federal Reserve has the power to print the U.S. dollar. And so that's, that's the biggest economic power ever is when there's a global reserve currency. And when I say that, I mean, it's basically a currency that's accepted in most places around the world. Okay, and so, like, for example, we're here in Mexico, and we can go, you know, like, even in small villages and towns, if they have, like, a uh, a casa de cambio, it, that's, like, a uh, where you can exchange money. They don't do it, like, at, you know, big banks here. Some, I mean, some do, but I'm talking about, like, little villages and stuff, or small towns. They have these, like, little hole-in-the-wall places where you can exchange currency, and they do it there instead of at a bank. Um, but when you walk in, you'll realize that there's only like, you know, there's like the, you can trade the Mexican peso for the U S dollar or the, uh, like the British pound, maybe, or like maybe the Euro, but for sure the U S dollar. And so, um, that's just the evidence of the U S dollar being the global reserve currency. Cause it's like, you know, if we were go like go to Europe, it's not like over there we can trade for the Mexican peso and just anywhere. I, I maybe you can find a spot, right? Like I, I don't know. I've, it's not like I've been to every single bank in in Europe or something, but um, on average, you can't expect to like trade, um, you know, a euro for a Mexican peso just at any old bank over there. But you could, like, you absolutely could expect to trade for the U.S. dollar. And you could go into like any number of country and have the same expectation um, because the U.S. back in 1945 and only has grown since really set itself up as the world reserve currency. And so since then, they've continued to lend dollars and um, to other countries. They continue to expand their trade routes and their relationships with other nations. And so it's just it, it, that's the world standard, right? And so many other countries, in fact, just they tie the value of their currency to the U.S. dollar. They're like, whatever the U.S. dollar is at, we're going to just be some multiple of that. And, and so this is just evidence. I'm just trying to tell you the backstory of the U.S. setting itself up as uh, the new world order. Okay, so some characteristics of a country establishing you know, the new world order is they, they've got, they have the ability to print the reserve currency, which the U.S. does. They print the U.S. dollar. Um, they've got the strongest military, typically. They have great uh, educational achievement, great um, like technology advancements. Like Usually there's something that sets them apart from other people in terms of like economic power. Other, so 
like I said, the greatest power is to print the reserve currency, which they have. Like the second greatest power is just all these different like technologies that really set you apart from other nations. And so, um, and, and those technologies could be strictly related to production or could be related to military. So like emerging from World War II, the United States had the most, not only the, like the largest military, but also the most powerful. I mean, we invented the atomic bomb. So coming out of World War II, no one else had nuclear weapons. We did. So we could, we had demonstrated, sadly, through the example that w- we could literally wipe out an entire city, you know, in the blink of an eye. And that was really scary for everyone. And so everyone's like, well, shoot, we're not going to mess with the U.S. Um, and, and that only continued to, right, increase when, you know, we continued the race. And, and then that moved into the Cold War and, and whatnot, where there's kind of a, a power struggle. But still, the U.S. emerged from all of that as the strongest contender. And so the Cold War never turned into a hot war um, for that reason, because it would have been silly. Uh, for for people to pull the trigger basically um now that being said is like following the conflict following the war in each world order there's this period of peace and that's basically because the big kid on campus has set the rules like and everyone's going to play by them and everyone's going to play nice because nobody wants to mess with the big kid on campus and so everyone's kind of happy um, living by the new rules. And so that's exactly what happened, right? There's decades of prosperity. Um, and, and just like we understand from economic cycles, like when there's prosperity, um, it makes like capital easy to find, easy to get. So it's easy to borrow money to fund new projects. And so for as long as that borrowing goes into production, right? You, you borrow a lot of money to build a new factory so that you can produce more stuff. Then, then, you know, it supports the growth of that economy. But as economic prosperity continues, um, uh, people, uh, increasing percentage of people will borrow money and, you know, build an enterprise or a business, right, around something that doesn't really increase um, production. Like, it, or at least it just doesn't increase the good, like, the right amount of production. Uh, and so, you know, you 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 borrow money, You like, people, individuals will maybe will borrow money to, you know, live in a house that they don't really need, right? It's really extravagant or it's it's bigger, right? They... It's like they have no kids or one kid and yet they have like a a 10 bedroom mansion or something, right? And businesses sometimes do the same, right? They, they'll get into this, um, you know, they'll, they'll put, borrow money and build offices that they don't need or, um, other assets like vehicles or cars. Like anyway, in times of prosperity, it's the habit that starts to bloat, right? And um, countries will do the same. They'll they'll make credit more easily available to fuel growth. Um, but you know, people get they'll like they they get a little too um, confident that the past prosperity will continue, and so 
um, like the United States will, or really any country, as you look back on the archetype, they'll go, they'll do this, right? Their prosperity continues. So they need to increasingly protect that prosperity. So they'll, they'll expand their military and they'll send their military presence around the world and to protect trade routes and, uh, to keep peace in certain areas or to just make a statement saying, hey, don't mess with us in this area because we got our powerful military here and so that you can feel like we we have free trade routes. Um, and so as that empire expands, uh, it becomes increasingly expensive to maintain and eventually hits a spot where it's really not economical. And um, so that that's definitely what's happened to other world orders in the past and it's what's happened in the United States. <laughs> so the U.S. has military presence on 80 different countries. Uh, nobody else has that, right? Nobody even had, comes close to that. Uh, and that's very expensive to maintain. And uh, in addition to the United States, um, since the 1980s has run a trade deficit, which means that they've imported more goods than they've exported. Uh, when you do that, you can kind of think of that like uh, a country's bank account, right? When they import goods more than they export, then their bank account shrinks. When they export goods more than they import, it's like their bank account grows and they, they get wealthier. And so it's a good thing. Um, so the United States has been running a trade deficit since the 1980s. And um, where that puts us now is, you know, in a really... Uh, like as a nation, our trade deficit is so large that um, it's a kind of an anchor on our uh, on our country's bank account, and um, the to keep. I mean, well, just to show you perspective. So China um, is the contender for the new world order, and China, when you look at their imports and exports. And you can come up with basically a like a wealth index for China, and they they're about six times wealthier than the United States uh, because of their country's balance sheet. Um, anyway, so I, I I say this because there's factors that just they add up, right? So the U.S. has an increasingly uh, uneconomic military presence on eighty different countries. The U.S. dollar uh, is going through increased volatility. Um, since Corona started, we've been printing trillions and trillions of dollars, right? 20% at least of the money that's currently in circulation was created in the last year, which is nuts. Like, So it's not necessarily a bad thing to print money. And inflation in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing, but... If inflation doesn't keep pace with production, then it gets out of control and, and can move towards hyperinflation and volatility. And so um, people say, well, has the economy expanded? No. <laughs> Since Corona, the economy has shrunk at least 4% in 2020 and more in 2021. Um, and just, just think about all the people you know. Like your gut tells you, right? Of all the people who are currently collecting unemployment and who, who could probably go back to work, but they're happy collecting a free check. 
um, is, which is sad. We could spend a whole podcast ranting about that, but I won't. Um, but like your gut tells you, like how on earth could we even think that 2021 is even coming close to the economic production as 2019? Uh, because it's not. Like people are collecting their check and they're they're just they're vacationing. You know, there's they're cool, right? They're getting their unemployment check and it's totally fine. We'll just go back to work when I guess this runs out or the stimulus package runs out and um and so everyone's kind of you know, dabbling in investments or whatever you're doing and it's just uh like it goes without saying that there's no way the economy in 2021 is anywhere close to 2019 and it's likely worse even than 2020. So, um, right. They report a 4% decrease in, in GDP 2020. So it's probably more than that. Um, in 2021. So you've decreased the output of our economy and then, uh, and then, you know, the fed has printed or like the, the government has printed, trillions of dollars and so you flooded the economy with more money uh with less production so yeah there's an enormous risk of inflation so that's the first thing the first thing you need to realize uh, that's going to impact your personal finances and your business is that cash is trash right now you should not be holding cash because every day that you hold on to cash uh you are losing money because it is being eroded in value. Just the dollar is not not doing well. So people think, great, I you know, I got a free dollar from Uncle Sam. And it's like, like, no, that's not how it works. If they print it and the economy stays the same, or certainly if it decreases, then the value of that dollar is, is less. So um, if you got money sitting in a checking account, it's losing money right now. And also, I get it. Sometimes like you need to keep some cash available for emergencies and stuff like that. But... Um, you know, if you've got a significant cash reserve or if your business is, is, has a significant cash reserve, then you're losing money right now. You're losing money while you sleep. You're losing money right now while you're listening to this podcast. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the first thing to realize and the first lesson to learn. Um, but, but there's more and I'm going to get to that. And this is all part of just helping set the stage for, uh, you know, the changes that are coming. And so, um, let let me just say that that's what's going on with the U S dollar. Um, also when the, like what, what we talked about, like the archetype of a human life. Right. And so what does it look like for the typical human life at, at late stages, right? You're getting old, you're getting, you, you have more ailments, you're more fragile. Um, these are signs that we can look at and realize that someone might be close to the end of their life. Well, what do those things look like for a nation, right? A world order. What does it look like near the end of its life? Well, you've got, you've got economic instability. You've got weak central leadership. Like there's a difference between a strong central government with we and and a strong leader, right? Like we have leadership that um, seems like it it anyway it doesn't 
let me just stop there and just say like it's weak leadership um and it has been for for quite a while right i'm not railing on any one president i'm just saying um it's more of a product of the system the system is has made it so our leadership is weak um you you have again you have a military that's you know bloated and expanded and hard to maintain and i'm not you know i when I say that, I, I also need to add that I have a deep respect for our, our service, our military service personnel. And so, like, that that is not, you know, again, this is not a moral rant on, you know, what what they should they do. I'm just, I'm just offering from, a, like, a mechanic's point of view, this is what it looks like at the end of a cycle. Um, so, large military spread you know, really abroad and it's hard to maintain. Also, in the country itself, you have wealth gaps that are significant and they're growing. And so, you know, there's a disappearing middle class, right? The wealthy are getting wealthier, the poor are getting poorer. Um, You have people who are increasingly unable to be civil to each other. And so you, during the times of prosperity, there's still different political parties. There's people who believe differently with different religions and cultures but there's more of a camaraderie a spirit of unity um what we see now is there's a lot more polarity right and um and so that's typical of a of a nation that's in its late cycle before a course correction um what else so uh, education is typically a precursor to the quality of education is going down that's definitely true in the u.s even though we and we outspend everyone on education by far. Uh, the quality is not there. Like educational outcomes are not matching what other nations like. The U.S. does not lead anyone in any educational category, even though we outspend everyone in every educational category. Uh, and so again, I, I'm not saying this in any way to like rail on anybody. It's it's really not a moral rant. It's just it's for this tribe. It's for the extraordinary business life tribe to say the symptoms are all there and they've presented themselves in times before. These same symptoms presented themselves in Great Britain before Great Britain lost their world order status following the world war. And before Great Britain, the Dutch empire, you know, in the the late 1800s, uh, sorry, the late 1700s is when the Dutch Empire fell to the Great Britain Empire. And the exact same symptoms could be seen even in the late 1700s. And so I'm attempting to paint a picture. Again, this is not a moral rant on right versus wrong and, uh, you know, he said, she said. It's just like, it's just taking a look at things that have appeared before and they're appearing now and understanding what they led to in the past will help us understand that there's a shift coming. And so what does that mean for you and for me and for our businesses? Well, if the United States was to lose its status, it's like if the U.S. dollar, for example, was to use it lose its status as the global reserve currency um but then any transaction any asset that we have that's 
you know, primarily this cash flow or any cash that we're holding on to will lose its value dramatically. And so um, this is the first of many episodes talking about the changing world order that I'm going to release. And and so make sure you set your alerts and subscribe and watch. I have a YouTube channel too. um, And so you can search that, subscribe, hit the alerts when I drop those videos because we're going to dive deep into, you know, what type of business do you have and, you know, how do you need to position it to be okay if there's a changing world order? So I say these things um, not to engender a spirit of fear. I That's the last thing I want to do. I want to be informative. I want to help you understand that even during a change in a world order, yeah, there's a lot of people who lose, a lot of people whose wealth is wiped out who didn't see the signs coming. But there are clear winners too. People whose wealth grew through the change. People who were able to create stability for themselves and for their families. So that's what's important to me. Uh, And and so this episode, I really try to set the stage saying, this is coming. It's happening. You don't need to be scared of it as long as we understand the principles and the formulas. And so um, watch for the next episodes. We're going to talk about, you know, what does it look like from an individual standpoint? What does it look like from a business? And, uh, and so, yeah, if you'd like to submit questions, comments, like, please do that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> the, the best way to do that is uh, on my Instagram at Barrow Steve. And there's a, a link tree in the bio and there's a link there. If you click it, it'll let you record a question, like an audio file on your phone, and it will send it to the podcast as a text message. It'll just be like your your voice recording. Um, I love to get them. I love to hear them. And if I select it, I could actually just embed it into the podcast and then answer your question. Um, So feel free. like Find me there at Barrow Steve. Follow me. you can see and then also on youtube you can follow my videos regarding the changing world order Uh, but there on on instagram you can actually submit your questions so again this is what i geek out about i um i geek out about business how to grow how to sell how to exit your business how to create a brand worth that's worth something and it's meaningful and it lets you live the lifestyle you want. Um, and it also creates wealth. And I'm, and I'm all about protecting that through understanding the changing world order and where to, where to move your assets, where to move, you know, how to position yourself. So let's keep this conversation going. Please send me your questions. I absolutely love them. Um, remember, awesome is always an option. And catch you on the flip side.